0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.05 Central Standard Time. It's the 8th of December 2020. This is episode 335 of Bitcoin, and I'm going to remind you of some November highlights courtesy of Matt O'Dell Stanley Druckenmiller announces Bitcoin position Bill Miller strongly recommends Bitcoin Citigroup research publishes year-end 2021 BTC price target as high as three hundred and eighteen thousand dollars I think that's who uh, <laughs> that's a little high <clears throat> blackrock fixed-income CIO Rick reader says Bitcoin could replace gold Guggenheim files to buy up 10% GBTC position in 5.3 billion dollar macro fund btig research publishes year-end 2021 btc price target of 50k that sounds low alliance bernstein recommends allocation to crypto skybridge files sec amendment to invest in bitcoin with 3.6 billion dollar fund ray dalio says he might be missing something with bitcoin nial ferguson writes bloomberg opinion Bitcoin is winning the COVID-19 monetary revolution. Square reports uh, Q3 Bitcoin revenue and gross profit uh, at 11x and 15x, respectively, year over year. Wow. (laughs) Wyoming elects uh, Bitcoin bull Cynthia Lummis as U.S. Senator. Jay Clayton steps down as SEC chairman. Alameda Research and FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried donates $5 $5 million to Biden campaign. Okay, yeah, I don't think that's going to do anything. But OCC's Brian Brooks testifies to Senate on importance of cryptocurrencies. China Construction Bank to issue $3 billion in bonds on a blockchain tradable for Bitcoin and dollars. OKX Exchange resumes withdrawals after more than a month being frozen. So, <clears throat> your November highlights. Moving on, crypto funds have seen a record investment inflow in recent weeks. This is uh, Coindesk, December the 8th, written by Sebastian Sinclair. Last week, as Bitcoin broke its all-time price high, institutional investors poured the second highest amount on record into cryptocurrency funds. According to a Reuters report, citing data from digital asset manager CoinShares on Monday, Large-scale cryptocurrency funds saw an inflow of $429 million last week alone. Wow. Largest ever weekly inflow was $468 million, which was seen three weeks ago. The data showed the sector jumped to an all-time high of $15 billion in assets under management for the year so far. By comparison, there was $2.57 billion in assets under management at the close of 2019. So far, Bitcoin has attracted $4 billion in inflows in 2020. Bitcoin hit an all-time high of 19920 on December the 1st in a sharp rally, likely fueled by listed firms making treasury investments in the cryptocurrency, a launch of crypto services by PayPal, and bullish billionaire investors, quote, We have seen a decisive shift from inquiries of a speculative nature To those that begin with comments such as, Bitcoin is here to stay, please help us understand it, James Butterfield, investment strategist at Coinshares, told Reuters. Butterfield also noted that the level of interest is so high, Bitcoin is likely only on the cusp of institutional adoption. Bitcoin and associated investment products were the most popular out of the cryptocurrency options among bigger investors last week. The top cryptocurrency by market value took the lion's share of the total assets under management at around $334.7 million, or I'm sorry, million out of the $429 million across all crypto assets. Ether uh, came in second place. During the same period, it attracted around $87.1 million, likely from investors wanting exposure ahead of the Ethereum network's launch of the ETH 2.0 beacon chain and bullish decentralized finance fundamentals. Okay, well, that's a lot of money pouring into Bitcoin. And when you say come in second, but you're coming in second at like 24% or 20% of what's going into Bitcoin. I'm not sure if that's actually, I mean, technically, yeah, it's second place, but that's like a whole lap. Actually, that's like four laps. You're running a race. Bitcoin is like already on the sidelines, cooled down. Change back into Bitcoin's clothes, walking out of the freaking stadium, and you still have three more laps to go before you can even come, you know, cross the finish line with your second place trophy. I don't know, man. It's just ugh, whatever. Now, the ball's on this guy. I've been critical lately. Uh, well, okay, yesterday. <laughs> If 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 lately means yesterday, that yeah, lately I've been critical of Michael Saylor. Look, I got I got all kinds of pushback on uh, bitching and moaning about Michael Saylor. I'm just not honestly, I'm not interested in just allowing people to say shit and do certain things just because they pumped a lot of money into Bitcoin. But at the on you know at the same time. I got to give credit where credit is due. the The brass balls on this guy is astounding. Okay, check this shit out. MicroStrategy looks to raise four hundred million dollars in private offering of convertible senior notes. Why are they raising money? <clears throat> I mean, that's that's what the, that's what what's going on here. The, the, he's doing a private raise. He's not. Selling, you know, is not like, you know, uh, what is splitting stock shares of MicroStrategy on the open market. This is wholly separate. This is a private raise. So privately, outside of what you would consider the basket that is MicroStrategy stock, this guy wants $400 million. What does he want it for? What do you think he wants it for? Nick Chong. Writing December the 7th for BTC Times tells us all about it. According to a press release, MicroStrategy is looking to raise $400 million in a private offering of convertible senior notes. Michael Saylor, CEO of the business analytics company, confirmed the raise in a tweet published on Monday afternoon. This offering would allow the company to purchase more Bitcoin, adding to the $780 million it already holds in the cryptocurrency. As per Bitcoin treasuries, the convertible note is a debt security that can be convertible into cash shares of MicroStrategy's Class A common stock or a combination of cash and shares of MicroStrategy's Class A common stock at MicroStrategy's election. By selling these securities, MicroStrategy will raise cash but will have to repay the bondholders with interest at a later date. The press release states that the proceeds from this prospective sale may be used to purchase Bitcoin. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> quote, Microstrategy intends to invest the net proceeds from the sale of the notes in Bitcoin in accordance with its Treasury Reserve policy pending the identification of working capital needs and other general corporate purposes. End quote. CoinMetrics co-founder Nick Carter said that he sees this as MicroStrategy planning a speculative attack on the United States dollar. (laughs) Holy crap! It wouldn't surprise me. Michael Saylor has that kind of gumption, honestly. This latest move comes just days after the company deployed $50 million into Bitcoin, purchasing an additional 2,574 coins, at an average price of $19,427, this latest decision to pursue more capital to buy Bitcoin also comes after CNBC anchor Melissa Lee questioned Michael Saylor on whether MicroStrategy is becoming a Bitcoin-focused hedge fund as opposed to a business analytics services company. And that's kind of been my question. That'll that'll do it for this particular article, but um Let's go back and see what he published in that tweet. Well, let me just look at the actual tweet Michael Saylor and his big, massive brass balls decided to tweet out. Let's see. This uh, is December the 7th, 4.05 p.m. MicroStrategy announces proposed private offering of $400 million of convertible senior notes. Okay, and then he just links to a blog, blog post from MicroStrategy.com. So there you go. Uh, Now, again, this has been my question as to whether or not he's going to end up turning into a hedge fund. I think two things are going to happen. Actually, I think three things are going to happen. I think they're going to continue doing their business analytics company. But now with their very sizable position in Bitcoin, I think that they're going to end up uh, spinning off a hedge fund like GBTC. I mean, they've got the Bitcoin to do it. And at this point, if they get $400 million, if this ra- uh, private funding round is successful and they go into Bitcoin and Bitcoin even you know goes up a couple of percent, they're going to make a lot of people really happy because they're going to allow uh, an outlet of melting ice cubes to be able to remain, not only remain frozen, but collect more ice. You get my drift? And in today's monetary environment with Money Printer Go Burr, uh, that's going to be a good play. That's going to be a really good play. But we'll have to actually see A, if they get the money, B, if they deploy it into crypto, or God, crypto, into Bitcoin, <clears throat> and C, if Bitcoin raise, rises enough and stays stable enough on that rise. For them to do their, you know, their next phase. And if all that works, I'm, I think you're going to see a micro strategy, uh, Bitcoin focused hedge fund spin off in 2021. That's what, what I think. The third thing that I think is going to happen is that they're going to start producing analytic blockchain tools. Because they're perfectly positioned to do exactly that. They've got all the experience they need to be able to do that shit, right? Because they've been an analytics company since, well, since day one of MicroStrategy. Why would you expect them not to? So the question becomes, is he going to be a douchebag? Is he going to do analytics that are going to, you know, that are focused on identifying uh, Bitcoin users? I, I mean... It's almost impossible for that not to happen as a side effect of doing analytics, but depending on the focus, you know it, that is really going to tell us a lot as to what's in Michael Saylor's uh, mind. Now, if he becomes a, if if he does the wrong thing and becomes a complete douchebag, there's not a damn thing we can do about it. Why? Bitcoin is for your enemies. If you don't understand that, I highly recommend that you relearn what Bitcoin actually is. Now, speaking of some enemies, a two centuries old German bank announces a cryptocurrency fund for 2021. Everybody's jumping in on this shit. Uh, And it was Anthony Ishishi is writing this one for Crypto Potato sometime on December the 6th. Uh, Hawk and Offslar Offhauser? Offhauser? Yeah. Hawk and Offhauser which is one of the oldest German banks, is making a play for the emergency cryptocurrency space with the launch of a crypto fund early next year. Commercial banks in the country continue to show a significant appetite for virtual currencies on the back of a firm, but a favorable regulatory mandate from government authorities. According to FundView, on December the 3rd, Hawk and Offhauser seeks to introduce a cryptocurrency fund by January 2021 under the Stables of its digital investment arm Hawk and Offhauser Innovative Capital, or HAIC. HAIC will partner with the Berlin-based fintech company Capilendo to launch the fund, dubbed HAIC Digital Asset Fund One. It will cover three crypto assets, namely Bitcoin, Ether and Stellar. Wow, that's an odd choice. So, okay. Also, the new crypto fund targets semi-institutional and institutional investors. While the subscription period is unlimited, the minimum entry point for investors is set at 200,000 euros or (laughs) $243,000. Commenting on the bank's new crypto fund, Holger Sepp, a member of the bank's board of directors, said, We see that digital assets and cryptocurrencies are becoming increasingly attractive to institutional investors, with the launch of our first crypto fund we've created an innovative investment vehicle together with Capilindo which provides our customers with a cost-effective and secure access to the novel asset crypto class okay while meeting the established quality standards and high demands of Auk and or Hawk and Offhouser Hawk and Offhouser's soon to be launched crypto funds is coming after the bank secured a BaFin, or B-A-F-I-N, license for its digital asset investment subsidiary dubbed Hawk and Offhauser Innovative Capital. Back in September of 2020, the BaFin license allows HAIC to operate as a duly registered capital management company. At the time, the bank's senior hierarchy was already alluding to a foray into cryptocurrencies with board member Michael Bentlage highlighting, quote, forecasts predict growing demand for fund products, for digital assets, and we are also seeing strong interest on the customer side. Therefore, it is important for us to set the right course at an early stage to give our customers access to this innovative asset class." End quote. As previously reported by Crypto Potato, BaFin classified cryptocurrencies as financial instruments, thus paving the way for institutional access to the asset class. Back in November of 2019, regulators in the country began developing a legal framework <clears throat> for banks to function as cryptocurrency custodians a necessary development for broad-based institutional involvement so there you go 200 years old and at least they get it i don't you know of course they're buying you know a couple of shit coins along with with bitcoin but i you know whatever now that's going to happen and i can bitch and i can moan all i want all of us could <clears throat> but what's really going on here is they're scrambling, they're trying to figure out how how to remain relevant in this new century, and as of late, they haven't been doing a good job. so they're jumping in, and like I said, Bitcoin is for enemies. It really is That's something that we you know few few understand as the uh, as the meme goes. few understand. <clears throat> If it wasn't for our enemies, then that means that somebody somewhere has a decision-making capability of who can buy Bitcoin. And the second that happens is the second Bitcoin fails. Thankfully, that cannot happen. Why? Because Bitcoin is for enemies. The fact that it is for your enemies means that you don't have say as to who gets to buy Bitcoin. I don't have a say who gets to buy Bitcoin. Ultimately, this is good. If you think of free speech, outside of yelling bomb or fire in a, you know, I don't know, a crowded theater, um, you should be able to say anything you want. That includes giving Nazis the right to march in public. You may not like them. I don't like Nazis. I I would not go to that march. I would stay as far away from that march as humanly possible. But honestly, they have the right to free speech just because that they, you know, embody views that are relatively evil (laughs) doesn't mean that they don't get to spew that bullshit out in public. Because honestly, at least in the United States, under the First Amendment, as long as they're not yelling bomb or fire in a crowded theater, shooting anybody, beating somebody up, and it's just a peaceful march, they have a right to do it. And honestly, the fact that we can shut that shit down, even though that we're staring at the First Amendment square in the face, that that's dangerous crap. And the point I'm making here is that you can't do that with Bitcoin. Anybody in the world can own it. Let's say I live in the United States and the uh, office of the comptroller of the currency gets a new uh, interim secretary or whatever, or director, whatever you call him and they ban Bitcoin, does that mean I can't own Bitcoin? No, of course not. I'm still going to be able to buy Bitcoin. And if they shut down every on-ramp in the United States, I will still be able to buy Bitcoin. You cannot stop me from buying Bitcoin because there's no way to regulate it. That's why Bitcoin is for enemies. I just, you know, that's important to, that's important to keep in mind as we all move forward and we deal with the inevitable FUD that's going to come down the pipe. How do I know it's inevitable? Because it's always happened. <clears throat> now, coming off of that, and you know, governments regulating Bitcoin, maybe banning Bitcoin, making it illegal, I mean, all the, the crap that we've been hearing lately, which we always hear, here's the bulwark. Institutions will protect Bitcoin from government overreach, says Eric Voorhees. I'm not a fan of Eric Voorhees, but when he's right, he's right. Sam Borgi is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. Uh, Institutional investors will play an important role in securing the future of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, according to Eric Voorhees, CEO and founder of Shapeshift.io. In a panel discussion at this year's LeBitConf, Voorhees Voorhees said Bitcoin's adoption curve will grow substantially over the next 5 to 10 years. In that time, Voorhees estimated that half of the world could have exposure to BTC. He believes that mass adoption will occur much later, however, once Bitcoin becomes the global monetary standard. The panel was virtually unanimous in the view that Bitcoin is better served with entities of different persuasions buying and holding BTC in this vein. Institutional adoption is a net positive for the ecosystem because it ensures that the rules of the game never change and that governments don't try to interfere. Voorhees said governments have a greater incentive to censor Bitcoin if it's used primarily by retail investors. With large institutions in play, there may be a natural bulwark against government overreach. Regarding Bitcoin, Voorhees noted his belief that, quote, the greater the mix and diversity of hodlers the better before continuing on he says democratization of control over money is the essence of bitcoin end quote although Voorhees says we are still in the very early stages of institutional adoption 2020 has been a watershed year for the digital asset in terms of orthodox acceptance major investors like paul tudor jones stanley druckenmiller have confirmed their stake in Bitcoin while PayPal and Cash App are buying up most newly mined BTC. Meanwhile, digital asset manager Grayscale continues to amass Bitcoin and Ethereum amid record inflows into its funds. Bitcoin is experiencing a supply shortage that's occurring almost in lockstep with the latest deflationary halving event, While, sorry, with supplies capped at around 900 BTC per day, institutional adoption appears to be having a positive impact on price discovery. In Voorhees' view, the real surge in institutional interest will occur near the peak of the next bull market when not owning Bitcoin will inflict reputational damage. Oh, ouch. Higher prices are no issue for major institutions, many of which are waiting for Bitcoin to catch up to their liquidity, according to Voorhees. So, I agree. I agree with Eric. I mean, is it good or bad for Bitcoin? I don't think Bitcoin actually cares. Is it good or bad for us? Well, it's it I've said it before. I mean, think about it this way. You got grayscale, you got microstrategy, you got PayPal, and you've got uh, oh God, uh, square, okay? Let's just take those four. You have any idea the size of their legal teams? What do you think they're you, do you think that they don't have an in-house legal team at every single one of those places? Because they do. Now, they'll reach out to outside counsel to basically backfill when they say, well, we need somebody to actually you know, do this part of the lawsuit or whatever. Yeah, they'll go and they'll reach out to outside uh, outside counsel. But the amount of lawyers that they have in-house is is quite staggering. It's actually uh, fairly impressive when you look at corporate in-house Legal teams—they're very well staffed with people who know exactly what the hell's going on—and if you think, under any circumstances, that these United States companies that are holding billions of dollars in Bitcoin are going to allow the United States government to just tell them that their that their uh, investment is now illegal without a a fight to the death, just on their part, okay, just on their part alone. They're going to sue the United States government for grievance. Okay, you can't really sue the government, but you can sue the Treasury, you can sue the SEC, you can sue like these sub-departments, and that's exactly who they're going to go after. Gee, I mean, I'm serious. The second that, you know, Talid Rashida or whatever her name is, if she were to get a bill passed at any time that says that holding Bitcoin is illegal or whatever, um, you're gonna you'll see a fight. And you'll see a fight first from the institutions. And then the rest of us are going to join in in a cacophony that will not be able to be squelched. This is why I don't worry about Bitcoin. And it's also why I Bitcoin. Holy crap, it's already time to run the numbers. CNBC's Energy uh, Futures here. We got oil, West Texas Intermediate, down a third of a point. Brent North Sea is down a quarter of a point. Natural gas flipped to the green. It is up a point and a half. And let's see, metal futures. Oh, man, you got gold holders are saved. It's up 0.1%. Yay. It's going to come in at $1,867.9 per ounce. Silver, Platinum, Copper, Palladium are all down. Oh, God. Uh, Platinum's down almost two points. So is Palladium. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, let's see. Index futures. Uh, Meh. Uh, We're going to be down on the Dow futures by half. Same with uh, S&P. NASDAQ futures are down 0.4. S&P mini is down 0.76. But, you know, yeah, real money. Bitcoin has dipped below $19,000. Again, we're all doomed. We're do- No, we're not. $18,798.52 is what I'm showing. Uh, I have no highs above $19,000. So let's see, where is my high? Looks like my high is going to be over at SimEx $18,700. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> BitAsset has it at $18,861. And the low is over at Simex at $18,770. 318,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us 13,267 transactions per hour on average. million BTC have been sent in that 24-hour period. And that uh, means that 76,500 BTC are being sent every hour on the hour. Average transaction value is 5.77 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.034 BTC. That's about 638 bucks USD. Block time slightly high, 10 minutes and 17 seconds. 0.51 0.51 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 71 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Whoop-de-doo, 10.07% uh, to the upside on hash rate. So we are all the way back up at 146.5 exahashes per second. Ethereum, 574, Litecoin, 80. Dollars B cash two hundred seventy three BSV one hundred seventy six Ethereum Classic six bucks Dogecoin at zero point zero zero three three Doge <clears throat> usually is at zero point zero zero three six All right when Doge starts nosediving or you know climbing in in you know in radical ways like this. That's something to watch. It just means that the, I think for me, it just means that the broader cryptocurrency markets are kind of in turmoil right now. Who knows what the hell's going to happen, but it, but you know, here's what's not going to happen. It's not going to die. Still though, 39,000 transactions on the Doge network eclipses Ethereum classic and Bcash as usual. BSV is doing weird shit on transactions. Um, it's down to 273,000 transactions in 24 hours. Now, before you guys get all pissed off that I'm even talking about it, just hold on, hold on. All those transactions are weather transactions. What is that? Well, <clears throat> in order for the crew over at BSV to make it look like their chain does something, they hooked it up to, I can't remember the name of the thing, but it gives basically like, you know, weather forecasts. Like, I don't know, every minute or something like that. And every minute, uh, they've got it set to where it's automatically cached into the BSV blockchain so that it looks like the, as a transaction, so it looks like they have transaction volumes. Generally speaking, I see transaction volumes like above a million transactions in 24 hours, Okay, which means nothing. There's no economic value going on on that chain, guys. It's just these bullshit weather transactions. Uh, but even then, that's down considerably. I haven't seen BSV uh, chain transactions being this low in a long, long time. It's kind of odd to see. Bcash, as usual, is below 20,000 transactions. And Litecoin is finally starting to come down on its uh, from its transaction highs. It's back down to 57,000. I'm still waiting for Litecoin to dip below uh, the Dogecoin transactions just because that's sort of where it belongs. Clark has 13,851 transactions and they're going to take nine blocks to clear that son of a bitch. We have uh, his price is 18,696. The money supply is 18,565,481.65 BTC. You're going to be able to buy 10 ounces of gold for one BTC. We have dipped squarely below the 3% mark on the Bitcoin versus gold market cap. We are at 2.87. Market capitalization in total has dropped to below $350 billion. However, we have the Lightning Network with 1,073.6 BTC inside of it. That's $20.1 million worth of value. And we have 7,896 nodes with 36,178 channels. Percentage of store, uh, tour, store, percentage of tour capacity is holding at 51.8%. That is 555.5 BTC in the tour side of the Lightning Network. And there are 2699 tour nodes. That's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're gonna start this one off understanding why Foxconn put suicide nets all around their building. It's so executives don't jump off and try to kill themselves when shit like this goes down. Ransomware gang demands $34 million in Bitcoin from Foxconn. Jeff Benson is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. He's writing this yesterday. Multinational electronics and technology company was reportedly struck by a ransomware attack by Doppelpamer November the 29th. righty then. Multinational tech companies, which understand firsthand the value of cybersecurity, can be targeted by ransomware groups. Foxconn, a publicly traded electronics and tech company headquartered in Taiwan, was hit by a ransomware attack on November the 29th, according to reporting from information security news site Bleeping Computer. The hackers responsible say they encrypted data related to its North American operations, and have told Foxconn to pay roughly 1,804 Bitcoin, currently worth about 34.5 million dollars, for a decryption tool. A ransom note from the hackers, a group known as Dop, Dopper Paymer. Okay, Dopper Paymer should be Doppel. I think it's supposed to be Doppel, not Dopper. Doppel Paymer stated, "Quote: If no contact made in three business days after the infection, first portion of data will be shared to the public." Ooh, damn. Given that the deadline was last week, Foxconn has presumably reached out to the hackers. Decrypt has emailed the company for details, but has yet to receive a response. I wouldn't expect one. The attack reportedly hit at the tech giant's Mexican facility for electronics assembly and shipping. In an interview with Bleeping Computer, Doppelpamer said it has encrypted about 1,200 to 1,400 servers and has destroyed up to 30 terabytes of backups in a bid to force Foxconn's hand. Though it doesn't necessarily carry BTC on its balance sheet, Foxconn is familiar with the technology behind Bitcoin. It has invested in blockchain startups such as Abra, a crypto investment platform for non-accredited types, as well as Cambridge Blockchain, a digital identity firm. The $34 million in Bitcoin it's being asked to pay is a drop in the bucket. IT security company Black Fog recorded 28 ransomware attacks in November alone, including against Mattel Toy Company, Manchester United Football Club, damn, even Man U got hit, and Baltimore Public Schools. Still, depending on the data, it may might be cheaper to ignore Doppel Paymer, According to research from Sophos, on average, it cost attacked companies twice as much to pay the ransom as it does to get the data back by other means. It's interesting that they, that they don't really tell us what Foxconn is. Uh, I guess they assume that everybody knows, but that's not entirely the truth. If you have a handheld electronics device anywhere in your home, or even, uh, actually I think they even make uh, game consoles, uh, it's made by Foxconn. If you have an Apple iPhone, it's made by Foxconn. If you have an Android phone, most likely <clears throat> it is made by Foxconn. It is Foxconn is pretty much the single, large. It's certainly the largest, but I think it's single-handedly kind of cornered the handheld electronics market. So when Foxconn gets hit by a ransomware attack, it's not you know Mattel toy company getting hit by a ransomware attack. Who cares? Foxconn. I mean, yeah, it's a slave labor camp, but it's a slave labor camp that literally makes, you know, probably 40% of communication tools in the world. Probably should look at that. Turner Wright is going to tell us we should do whatever we can to legalize Bitcoin. He's going to be talking about this interview with Ron Paul here. Cointelegraph, he's writing this one 13 hours ago. The former congressman from Texas believes the government is watching very closely to see what happens with crypto. Former presidential candidate and congressman Ron Paul has been more outspoken about government oversight concerning Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in the last week, calling on people to be vigilant. In an episode of the Stephen Levera podcast released on Sunday, Paul said he was just as worried about authorities coming to confiscate gold as he was about confiscation of crypto assets. The Libertarian noted that there has been and there has been instances of people taking crypto that they shouldn't, but seemingly place the blame for any potential fraud in the future on the government. Quote: The more successful crypto is going to be and Bitcoin is going to be, I think the more you have to be aware of what's going on in the government, and that will become more aggressive, said Paul. I see crypto as not a creature of the government, but the government is watching it very closely. Quote. The former congressman from Texas, an outspoken critic of the Federal Reserve, is known for his advocacy of gold, though he holds at least some Bitcoin. Bitcoin Foundation board member Bobby Lee gifted Paul with his first BTC last October when the price was $9,380. Since leaving the U.S. Congress in 2013, Paul has often spoken in favor of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. When I was in Congress, I thought the important thing is that we should do whatever we can to make Bitcoin legal, said Paul. I had a bill that would be legalizing competing currencies because if it's to be used as money, you're competing with the dollar. And there are some people who don't like that, end quote. Paul has additionally expressed concerns that crypto is still vulnerable to government crackdowns. In an episode of the Ron Paul Liberty Report released last Tuesday, the libertarian cited how President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the executive order in 1933 limiting gold ownership in the United States in response to citizens hoarding the precious metal. I'm not sure if they were hoarding it, man. You just wanted it so you could print money. (laughs) Yeah. That's why that's why that shit happened. Executive Order 6102 happened not because people were hoarding gold. Okay, that was not the reason. They wanted to make sure that they had enough of the gold so that they could call all the shots. It's called cornering the market. It happens with frozen concentrated orange juice as well, which is another kind of gold. Quote, people say, well, we can get around this with crypto. Crypto will be outside this. It's not in the banking system and you won't have that problem, said Paul. I think that's where there's still some proving has to go on. I kind of agree. He concluded that, quote, if the government can come in and do whatever they want and steal the gold from the people, I don't think that the government will be neutral for crypto. As time goes on, since our government's goal is to have a cashless society, And they want to know what's going on. Yeah. Okay. He's right in a lot of ways. Um, A fight is coming. See, this is what, and I've been saying it for a while now. A fight is coming. It is inevitable, right? And we're going to be alive. We're we're not. I I don't think we're going to see like you know a million dollar Bitcoin until well after we mop the floor with these assholes. And that's what's going to have to happen. It can't be some kind of you know, small, you know, victory in the court of public opinion that we're right. No, it has to be a unified front that is overwhelming, that just masses over the United States Congress and, around, and governments around the world. It has to happen simultaneously. I, if, if we can do that, if we can, you know, mass up a simultaneous reaction that is an attack on governments around the world. I'm talking I'm not talking about physical attacks. I'm not talking about storming the walls with guns and shit. I'm talking about using their own mechanisms against them. Their own th- their own instances of legislative war, we have to turn that back into their own direction. We've never done it before, and we certainly haven't as an entire world's population done it all at once. Generally speaking, we have civil wars in different places around the globe at different times. But what happens if it all happens at the same damn time? Because I think that that's a very likely possibility. And I think that the energies are converging at this point that has something to, you know, like the whole COVID thing around the world, the whole, you know, possibly forced or mandated vaccinations, no travel, monetary policy, and then the rise of Bitcoin all coming together at the same time may very well end up being a situation where there is a worldwide civil war. In so far, hopefully, that it's mostly peaceful. (laughs) I say that tongue in cheek, but mostly peaceful being that it's a legislative war, that the people of the world just get to the point where they've just had enough. And they either start running for Congress, you know, their versions of Congress themselves, and win get in and start jacking shit up from the inside while the rest of us are remain obstinate on the outside to where it's civil disobedience, to the point where those that remain in government figure out that the party is now over, that there's, you know, they're going to have to, you know, maybe their great-grandchildren will be able to corrupt the son of a bitch again, but they're kind of done for now. That's what really needs to happen. Otherwise, we're just going to remain being enslaved. Which comes brings me to this story. Bitcoin, a humanitarian defense system, says human rights leader Alex Gladstein. And this is written by Andrew Hayward for Decrypt.co. <clears throat> During today's initial broadcast of the 2020 Latin American Bitcoin and Blockchain Conference, which runs through Friday, Human Rights Foundation Chief Strategy Officer Alex Gladstein argued that Bitcoin serves a critical purpose as a humanitarian defense system. Gladstein's presentation focused on surveillance states around the world and how people often gladly trade their digital privacy away for convenience. Quote, A lot of times, You do it to yourself, he said, rather than being forced by a government, but it is fueling a surveillance capitalism. Quote, it's really this trade-off that you willingly make where you give up some of your privacy and freedom for convenience, speed, and comfort, he said. That is a trade-off that I think Bitcoin can fight. Gladstein pointed to the immense growth of China's surveillance state and its reputation-based social credit system, which is gradually coming to life. I wouldn't say gradually. I think it's well on its way. For example, he noted that China is expected to have 500 million surveillance cameras live by 2021 to monitor a population of around 1.4 billion people. Quote, they have this sense of omniscience that would make Orwell blush, said Gladstein. Such a system thrives on the kind of data that people provide whenever they use digital money or financial services. In China, that includes using the popular messaging app WeChat for all sorts of purchases and banking services. The downside of convenience in this case is the potential impact that a poor social credit rating could have on things ranging from securing a loan to getting your child into certain schools or even being denied basic rights based on your background, beliefs, or behaviors. Quote, what the government wants to do is make what they call a harmonious society, but the reality is there's no such thing as a harmonious society, Gladstein explained, pointing to widespread reports of at least a million Uyghurs, an ethnic minority, being forced into prison camps in China. Quote, when they try to smooth everything out and make everything look perfect, what they actually do is crush a lot of people underneath. How does Bitcoin play a role then? Well, Gladstein believes that a key part in slowing the increased centralization of data is to avoid payment methods that loop in third parties, such as credit cards and typical mobile payments platforms. With cash or coins, merchants don't know anything about you, and that worked fine in the past, but the world is changing rapidly, and cash usage is down significantly. Quote, could we have a different kind of cashless society? Is a decentralized financial system without third parties and controlling authorities possible, he said, pivoting to Bitcoin. Quote, in this peer-to-peer electronic cash system, we have our defense system. We have our way that's going to defend humanity, End quote. Gladstein suggested that in the future, historians will look back at Bitcoin's decentralization of money as being as important as democracy's decentralization of government, and the Internet's decentralization of information. Bitcoin can't be censored, easily mass surveilled, devalued, monopolized by corporations, or stopped at borders, he added. Quote, no matter if you're a billionaire or one of these corporations that's buying up a ton of Bitcoin right now, they can't change the rules, he said. They can't prevent me from using Bitcoin. They can't prevent you from using Bitcoin. So this monetary network is, I think, a humanitarian defense system in many different ways gladstein's presentation today during latin america's bitcoin and blockchain conference is available to stream on youtube you might want to go watch that i'm sure you can just get on youtube and use their internal search engine and say bitcoin and blockchain conference 2020 and alex gladstein you'll probably get right to it forget the milk and cookies santa wants bitcoin this holiday season Benjamin Pyrus is writing for Cointelegraph and tells us that although he is based in the North Pole, Santa Claus spends much of his December touring the globe, making appearances at countless holiday-themed engagements in the run-up to Christmas Eve. In payment for these rendezvous, Santa has long been known to accept tips in a variety of different currencies, assets, and edible treats. Okay, this is bad, I know, but dude, it is, come on, it's Christmas time. We gotta do at least one Christmas story. This year, Santa adds Bitcoin to his list of accepted payment methods. Oh, my God. (laughs) A global service called Hire Santa now lets people book a Santa performer in exchange for Bitcoin, according to a post from the company's website. Quote, there are several ways that Hire Santa can accept Bitcoin as payment for Santa Claus services. You can send Bitcoin directly to our Coinbase account. Oh, 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 that hurts. Or you can do it through PayPal. Oh, it's like getting beat up, depending on how you store your Bitcoin. End quote. Whew. Almost a year has passed since the generous man with a belly like uh with a belly like a bowl full of jelly put out his latest naughty and nice list. John McAfee topped the naughty list last year due to his tactical avoidance of United States authorities. Craig Wright also showed up on the list as a likely coal recipient. Right, who has persistently claimed to be Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto, brought several libel suits against well-known industry folks, according, according, uh, including Peter McCormick, host of What Bitcoin Did podcast. Yeah, he also went after little plebes like Hodel and Not, who is actually still fighting that thing, and it's really driving Hodel and Not up the wall. And why wouldn't it? I mean, you got to deal with sh- you're just like sitting there going, "Hey, dude, private citizen over here, I can say whatever I want." And no, no, he slapped Hodel and not with a libel lawsuit and they're still fighting that son of a bitch. I I think Hodel and not will win, but what do you win? I mean, that's like a, that's like, whatever, that son of a bitch just needs to go away. Anyway, 2019's nice list yielded a number of good boys and girls, including Keith Molly Chung who returned roughly $80,000 in Bitcoin to its owner after an accidental transaction. Good job, dude. Also making an appearance on the nice list were schoolgoers in Uganda who received food funded by Binance as part of an initiative from its charity wing. With the Christmas season in full swing, crypto broker Bitcoin Suisse recently installed two holiday-themed BTC advertisements in the Zurich main train station in Zurich, Switzerland. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Now, he, he, here's the guy that's not going to have a Merry Christmas like at all. And if you forgot about this dude, you're going to remember him real quick. Co-founder Alexander Vinick is sentenced to five years in prison on money laundering charges. This is Connor Maloney and Mike Dalton writing this 17 hours ago for Crypto.com. The headline reads, BTCE Saga Ends in Prison Time for Founder. So, Alexander Vinnick is the guy that they caught in Greece a couple of years ago after the BTCE uh, exit scam. So let's see what's happening nowadays. Alexander Vinnick, founder of the now defunct BTCE exchange, has received five years in prison on money laundering charges. According to reports from the Moscow Times, Vinnick co-founded BTCE in 2011 The exchange grew quickly, eventually handling 3% of global BTC trading volume by 2015 and entering the top 20 exchanges by 2017. However, the United States government indicted Vinnick in 2017 on charges of laundering $4 billion worth of BTC. The indictment included accusations that Vinnick withdrew and laundered 530,000 BTC from the breached Mt. Gox exchange between 2011 and 2011. And 2014, United States authorities seized BTCE in 2017, along with 38% of user funds. Vinnick fled to Greece. Meanwhile, Greek authorities received extradition requests from the United States, Russia, and New Zealand for various offensive Vinnick allegedly carried out. Vinnick also has ties to paramilitaries and suspected terrorist organizations. United States authorities allege that the Fancy Bear crypto or cyber criminal organization used BTCE to launder funds, then used to hack the Democratic National Committee. Fancy Bear also reportedly used those funds to attack German parliament computer systems. The Russian government issued two separate extradition requests for fraud and money laundering. Venick went on hunger strike for three months to protest his living conditions in Greek custody, and Greece eventually extradited Vinick to France in January of 2020. Now, this is the one that I did not know about. The WEX exchange has, was established as a successor to BTCE in September of 2017. Though it promised to compensate BTCE users for their lost funds, WEX, Wex carried out an apparent exit scam in July 2018. Users on the WEX subreddit cited examples of WEX banning their accounts and withholding funds in the weeks leading up to the closure of the exchange. Before the exchange went dark, nominal owner Dmitry Vasilev told WEX, sold WEX to Ukrainian paramilitary fighter Dmitry Kachankov, whatever, who fought in Crimea to support Russian annexation. Uh, How do you say? Uh, let's see, Ka- Ka- Kachenko. Let's, let's just go with Kevchenko. Can be seen below, armed with a machine gun, uh, handing over the flight recorders from Malaysian Airlines Flight 17, which was shot down over Ukraine, killing 283 people. During the negotiations, the paramilitary fighter announced his plans to headquarter WEX in Donbass, Ukraine, an active war zone at the time. Kachenko allegedly has ties to Russian oligarch Konstantin Malofiev, who has been sanctioned by the EU and accused by the U.S. and Ukraine for allegedly funding the war in Donbass, connecting the the exchange to terrorist activity. Good God. After spending almost three years in custody, Vinnick received a five-year prison sentence on December 7, 2020, from a Parisian court, the court found Vinick guilty of money laundering as part of an organized criminal group and providing false information about the origin of the proceeds. In June 2020, New Zealand authorities recovered $90 million allegedly laundered by Vinick as part of a wider $4 billion money laundering scheme that spanned multiple international jurisdictions. Vinick was charged in France with making $164 million in Lockheed ransomware attacks on 188 French victims, including local authorities, businesses, and individuals between 2016 and 2018. The court dropped these charges but found Vinnick guilty of laundering money gained from those very same attacks. Vinnick was fined $120,000 in addition to his five-year sentence. It is not clear whether Vinnick will face additional charges in prison time for fraud charges in Russia upon his release from French prison. Oh, man, God, what a saga that is, dude. I had no idea that BTCE was uh, that far down that weird side of that rabbit hole. I mean, paramilitary? I mean, although I got to admit, I mean, we got the Venezuelan army, you know, mining Bitcoin, so I guess I shouldn't uh, be too surprised. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. (laughs) Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. He says, I asked a librarian if they had any books on different noise levels. The librarian said, sure. What volume would you like? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I am going to be bringing you an uh, interview later. Not, not now, clearly, not for this show. Uh, but later today, I am going to be interviewing uh, Mr. Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast and going to ask him about certain, you know, certain things like, you know, permaculture, uh, possibly some education stuff and, and where these things rub up against Bitcoin. You know, what what are we seeing in regenerative ag- agriculture that seems like it might possibly not only rub up against Bitcoin, but sort of have some of the same attributes Because we're seeing, I'm seeing like kind of like a sea change in the human condition. And a lot of it seems to be going nodal. And I won't get into it too far. Anyway, expect that interview to come out soon, TM. Other than that, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.